This interview is one in a series recorded by the Charlie Waller Memorial Trust as part of a Health Education England funded programme to transform outcomes for children and young people with extra vulnerability to mental health difficulties. The series includes interviews with a range of experts who each have specialist knowledge on the needs and experiences of a particular vulnerable group. This is an interview with Nick Hickmott. Right, so um, hello, uh, my name's Ian MacDonald. I'm a trainer with the Charlie Waller Memorial Trust, and this is the latest in a series of interviews aimed at supporting you around supporting vulnerable young people around their mental health. Uh, with me today, I have Nick Hickmott from AdAction. He is the early intervention lead for Kent, and as part of his role, this involves working with not just those young people already in contact with the youth justice system, but those also at risk of coming in contact with the youth justice system. Nick helps to lead a team doing both group work and one-to-one -one sessions with these young people, so has a lot of useful practical information to share with us in terms of working with this vulnerable group. So Nick, can you start off just by telling us how you within your role and within your team are using and sometimes creating evidence bases to inform your approach to working with with those in contact with the youth justice system yeah so um i think in terms of evidence base it's something which we hold really highly at action in terms of what's important really with working with these cohorts um the evidence base is obviously something which is really important to us because there's no point working with these kids in a just random way. There's no point in me giving my opinion about what I think is best for little Johnny or whoever it might be. Um, what we've got to do is use an evidence space to inform things. So previously we've worked um, with several universities across the UK to collect data, to kind of look at randomised control trials, to work with these young people in the best kind of way. Um, I feel that what we've got to do is get outcome measured tools essentially to work with them so initially going into work with young people um, it's important that we don't necessarily set the agenda so obviously looking at these young people from all kinds of different backgrounds all kinds of issues um, we can't go in and say well today we're specifically going to talk about self-harm or today we're specifically going to talk about cannabis or alcohol it's got to be really open plan so the way we like to do things initially is to get a read of the young person and in a group setting that's really important because we've got so many different dynamics within the room but I like to say that we start essentially with a blank whiteboard and a pen so we're asking the young people to set their own agenda and from that then we can use evidence-based tools to kind of work with that and move through over a longer period so again we don't want to be delivering one-off interventions um, all the evidence would state that we want to be looking at longitudinal delivery essentially um, and i'm probably going to talk about trust quite a lot throughout this interview to be honest and building relationships um, not necessarily attachments but certainly building a relationship around trust so within our sessions we we look at a 12-step model in terms of one-to-one uh, support but that can be really very dependent on needs obviously and has to be bespoke to the young person uh, depending on their needs and what's going on for them in life um, but essentially we're working from a motivational interviewing approach and a cognitive behavioral therapy approach as well so really trying to work with issues to meet young people's needs and then show them some visible outcomes from before and after and working with them to kind of follow up around that um, obviously that follow-up 
uh, information on what comes out of those outcome measured tools which we use um, that's that's that will inform our future work of course and that's really important and that's something which we can also give back to the settings in which we're working with young people so we can say amongst your cohort you've got this going on and that going on and these are key areas where we need to put in extra support so that we can it's not just us it's not just us coming in to save the day if you like but you've got other agencies around you who are going to meet those other needs because we can't do it all ourselves obviously sure no great thanks for that nick um so in terms of those young people that you that you work with again whether they're already in contact with the youth justice system or they might be at risk of coming in contact with the youth justice system what, what do you find are the, the common issues that they face when it comes to managing their mental health? I think often where we're looking at criminal justice, there's, there's an underlying theme of isolation, which is, which is covered up perhaps by other behaviours which we might see as scary or as indicative of them being a bad kid or a naughty kid, essentially. So you know drugs and alcohol for example they're they're often a symptom but they're never really a cause but but they often isolate a young person further and obviously that's an area of work which we we work in primarily but I think with these young people it's it is about a lack of relationship essentially so it's about a lack of um, secure attachments often so if we look at attachment theory that's often ingrained within them the the fact that they're unable to make these secure attachments um, what it leaves is often it, le it can lead into anxiety it can lead into paranoia it can lead into other mental health such as depression but that feeling of isolation is often which there which contributes to other factors and I think that's the main issue is that being able to discuss being able to talk being able to trust someone to say I'm not okay and it's not physical it's not visible it's it's inside I think that's the biggest barrier to these young people and it and it's also seen very much as a sign of weakness and whether that's societal so whether that's what we see um, from parents or carers or role models in the media whatever it is but Obviously, things are improving and, you know, there's lots of good work going on in these areas. But for young people who are struggling to access education, for young people who are struggling to do positive, um, have positive experiences with adults, especially, then I think it just becomes a big barrier to them actually being able to discuss these things. So that isolation, lack of engagement, obviously, there's a lack of protective factors there as well. So it goes back to what we were saying earlier, really, about tackling that. And tackling that lack of protective factors in building relationships, building trust and showing that there are people who you can trust and talk to and that things can remain confidential as well. So, you know, it, it's a real myriad of issues that I'm sure you'll find. But I think underlying it is a very simple thing, which is that if we get alongside these young people and we can communicate with them, we help them to communicate regarding their mental health. Um, yeah, tricky, but I think that's what underpins everything. I think that's really interesting because, again, that general view might not be of these young people feeling or being isolated. We have that societal view, like you mentioned, that might be of these sort of deviant young people hanging around in groups. And there's that idea of a sort of collectiveness sometimes. So I think people will be quite interested and perhaps surprised to hear that actually that isolation is something that, like you say, is sometimes covered up and it's almost a throwing a blanket over it. So this isn't that weakness of me that I 
that I want other people to see. Definitely, and I think you know if we're looking at um, if we're looking at gang mentality, for example, we know it's about family, and we know that you know we've we've got great gangs training at the moment, you know, across the UK, finally being rolled out, you know, um, which is excellent. But everything is about hierarchy, if you like, and a and a family unit where we're looking at people feeling accepted and valued, and and that's that's it doesn't matter whether their behavior is negative within that you know at the end of the day if they can provide which a lot of it is in terms of providing for themselves with money or um by selling drugs potentially but also if they've got um a father figure you know primarily um a father figure kind of saying to them great job well done you know it's tapping into self-esteem it's tapping into ego strength and of course as a society we, we want to vilify these young people and say that's not okay you can't be in gangs you know what you're doing is illegal but it's about it's about how we can work with those young people to show that there are safe adults who aren't going to have expectations of them to break the law and do other things so so we're not going to isolate them further or potentially get them locked up or involved in the criminal justice system which will of course hamper their their futures so um yeah i think that i think there's a big there's a big wall in terms of mental health especially with this cohort because obviously those involved in the criminal justice system historically have had to be big and tough and strong in order to survive. And that mentality goes from prison culture um, right down to young people who are, have been kicked out of school and are in a pupil referral unit, in my experience. Great. Thanks, Nick. It certainly seems like there are these sort of almost stereotypical views that we need to look beyond when it comes to working with these young people. So if you find that, you know, again, especially for those young people that might be in contact with the youth justice system, if they are struggling to manage their mental health, are there any sort of signs, symptoms that they tend to sort of or how they tend to communicate these struggles? I think, um, yeah, I think the struggles really, the triggers are the, the bits that we've been talking about, really. So their communication often comes from behavior rather than dialogue so what we'll see is young people struggling in school struggling in larger groups struggling with authority figures um, and that will often come about through emotional and behavioral difficulties within these settings so quickly again as a society we'll label these young people naughty rather than needy which i think is the biggest issue so we'll kick them out of the class we, we, we add into their isolation, if you like, they stand in the corridor on their own. The only way that they can then kind of boost their own self-esteem or ego strength is to be pulling silly faces at the window or acting out or bunking off school so that they can get some kudos from a negative behaviour instead of a positive one. So in a mainstream setting, I think that, you know, we see this a lot. We see, we see behaviours which are outside of the norm. Um, and instead of looking at the underlying cause in that every behaviour is a communication, we look at the behaviour on its own. And, and often, I think as professionals, we're too quick um, to say, I don't like that. I don't like what that child's doing. I don't like that child. Whereas what we don't like is the behaviour and underneath is a young person. So we need to be really aware of triggers, whether it be a lack of engagement, whether it be substance misuse, of course, um, so covering up issues or or potentially a cry for help via substances. So a young person, for example, using a substance in a toilet at school, you, you can't hide that, you know, so they know they're going to get caught. And these 
Young people aren't stupid either. That's the other thing. You know, we're not talking about um, learning difficulties, for example, be completely different. But if we're talking about young people in mainstream school, they know what they're doing in terms of these behaviours. There are communications. We need to look at these as a trigger to them potentially trying to express something which we haven't picked up on. There will, of course, be young people who will go the opposite way and show their isolation in class by not being involved, by withdrawing, by being the opposite. So we have we have different young people, and the last thing we want to do is have the forgotten child within classrooms, the young person who's so good because actually we don't even know they're there. So they they as well could be suffering with some kind of mental health issue. Um, it's really about talking to young people, I think, and and finding those triggers out. So. I think um, a lot of young people who I speak to uh, through our various interventions, but especially, I guess, the one-to-one parts of our multi-component programmes. So they'll come into a room and, you know, we're so good in the UK saying, oh, are you OK? You all right? And we just go, yeah. And then actually, if we start using uh, an evidence-based tool to kind of look around their life, something like Swimwebs or perhaps a teen star mm-hmm. tool where we can look holistically at their life, we're saying, how are things at home? How are things at school? How are things with your mental health? How are things with drugs and alcohol? Then we really actually get to have a, a real conversation. And often the sad thing is, is that we end up with young people saying things that they've never said to anyone before because we all ask each other if we're okay, like we did at the start of this interview. But are we actually saying, are you really okay? And that's the difference between the two, I think. Um, and that's where we can start looking at triggers. But we've got to look at the whole the whole picture we can't just look at drugs and alcohol we can't just look at oh you know things are things are not going well at home it's always going to be interlinked and one thing that we know is that drugs alcohol education mental health they all tip into each other and they're all going to be part of what shows us that a young person isn't okay sure great thanks nick so i guess it'd be useful to hear what you feel those young people in contact with the youth justice system need to be more effective in managing their mental health. So rather than, yes, you know, we can look for these, we can look beyond the behaviours, we can, you know, pick up on these cues and maybe start to think differently as professionals about how we approach these young people. But what do you think, what do you think is it that, that those young people need to actually manage their mental health a bit more effectively? I think it's the... With the criminal justice system, what we normally find is these are young people who are disenfranchised. They're not part of a structure or a routine generally, and that might be literally down to their yacht appointment or their criminal justice appointment, that actually there aren't boundaries around a young person to make, to, to kind of cap that chaos, if you like, or to cap to put to put a perimeter or a literal boundary if you like around what's not okay for them so i think it's about us thinking holistically about thinking in a multi-agency sense about putting something around a young person which is going to work and i think if you look at early help in kent for example they've started to do that so anyone with a concern can refer in if you like and get young person the support that they need and kind of wrap around that family the whole kind of travel troubled families agenda so I think part of it is about routine but with that we need resources to come around the young person we can't expect them to be able to just kind of pick up what we're gonna what we're gonna essentially offer and get them to work with their mental health so we really need to get better at putting things around them and kind of helping them with that um 
An example might be young people kind of breaching youth offending orders. So there are countless examples I can think of young people not, not attending their appointments, mandatory appointments, and they'll maybe get a phone call or text saying you didn't turn up, you're on a warning. But that for that young person with an attachment disorder, that for that young person who is really at tipping point in terms of whether it's gang affiliation, whether it's CSE kind of concerns, whatever it might be, male or female, what they really need is a firm boundary and someone who's going to be consistent in what they're saying. So we need to be consistent. We need to put more money in around these young people. So we need to have bespoke programmes which are going to pick them up. And that's where, you know, some of the some of the bits that we do, I think, are, are really good in terms of being a commission service to go in and deliver multi-component programmes off the back of randomised control trials where we can pick up young people who, in an early intervention sense, who are on the periphery of youth justice and work with them before these issues happen. Because we, we really need to get a hold of these young people before before they're in the system, if you like. But those who are in it, I think, really need more rigid boundaries, more structure around their appointments, bringing in more agencies to the youth offending service and giving young people a chance to kind of express their needs and feelings in a safe environment rather than feeling that it's all stick and no carrot, essentially. Great. Thanks, Nick. Um, and I guess the same goes then for that consistency between services that may be in contact with that young with that young person as well so it's not just having those boundaries in place within the youth justice system but elsewhere in their life and making sure that there's consistency across that um, so I think that's certainly something that people might might be able to take away so just finally I thought it would be useful just to if there's anything else that you think just works when it comes to working with this group um, in terms of the group work or the one-to-one -one work that you do which um, some people listening might be able to take away from today i think i think the first thing is we've got to make it really obvious that we've got something to offer so we've got to let young people know that we're out there and we've got to build reputations based on that so whether you're a pastoral carer you know whether you're a head of a school whether you're an interventionist be it in the drug and alcohol sector mental health whatever it might be what we really need to do is make sure that young people know exactly who we are and where we stand. So simple things like um, agreements with young people, like consent. So young people are absolutely terrified, in my experience, of disclosing information within schools um, around mental health, around offending and around drug and alcohol use for fear of recrimination, for fear of being kicked out, ostracised, um, causing extra issues at home and this is always the the problem around this is that um, it will create a snowball effect which will make young people's lives worse and not better and often that's something that's perpetuated by family um, morals and ethos and ideals that social services are bad and police are bad and so it's really important that we're distinguished within our roles and I think that's our, our kind of um, joint working protocols with young people are the most important thing so going the extra yard to kind of introduce yourself exactly where you stand exactly where your boundaries lie in terms of whether it be safeguarding your role so what you can and can't do where you stand on disclosure what you have to report and what you don't so our, our safeguarding stuff which hopefully everyone you know it's a mandatory measure now but it's about how we then are able to communicate that to young people so they feel safe and they don't just think this is another professional who just wants to write everything down i say 
So I think re what's really important is that kind of, if you like, a service level agreement with young people, to use a really terrible term <laughs> of apologies. But I think it's that they know exactly where you stand because they meet so many professionals, so especially within that um, youth justice setting, but even within schools and mainstream young people, it's just about letting them know where we stand. I think everything that we've got to do everything that we do has got to be evaluated so there's absolutely no point delivering a great piece of work for myself in Kent from Ad Action if they're not doing the same thing in Liverpool in our other services you know it's about making sure that we're looking at those evaluations as well that they're as robust as they can be that we're talking to universities that we're talking to people like John Moores at Liverpool about what you know what are they doing in Sweden what are they doing in Denmark Scandinavia that we're that we're tied in and I think Twitter is a great tool for that is about building those relationships and making sure that we're evaluating but also we're we're providing evidence to get ahead of the curve with the next issue if you like so evaluating everything is really important um, making sure that obviously everything is clearly documented so again I think that's something that we could get better at within schools especially is um, all those little brilliant pieces of work that we're doing with a young person which actually will make massive changes within the classroom and then keeping that essentially on file so that we can then inform form teachers you know that we can then inform head of years and say this is what works for this young person and essentially treating young people like they are mature young people so speaking to them on the level you know I, I, I talk to young people exactly how I expect them to talk to me avoiding jargon but trying to get to them on that maturity level that will work for them so that they feel heard and they feel understood and they feel they've got a voice within that setting and then making sure that we follow up on actions. So taking evaluations, taking conclusions of programmes and working out exactly like you said earlier, wh right, what else can we do for you? Where can we signpost you to? Is it um, mental health services? Is it sexual health? Is it actually housing or social services? You know, where are the issues which are underlying this kind of behaviour? Where are the issues which have seen you actually reach the criminal justice system? And how can we actually be a support mechanism rather than the punishing kind of criminal justice setting which we might be associated with. So how can we make things better for you by putting these bits around you, putting these areas of need, meeting those and then kind of moving you forward? Thanks a lot for that, Nick. It certainly sounds like it's not just about what we do with these groups of, of young people, but how we do it and maybe thinking about doing that in a, in a slightly different way. And I think you've given us some, some really interesting things to take away from today. So thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Um, so that's it for this interview. I do hope that you've enjoyed listening and you found it useful and you'll continue to find the other interviews that we're producing in the series of use. Do feel free to get in touch with the Trust directly if, if there's any questions that you have or if you'd like to reflect and, and join a bit of a conversation on this online. We're using a hashtag vulnerable learners um, to sort of try to collect um, different views and different reflections on these series of interviews. So like I say, I hope you found it of interest and we hope you continue to listen to future interviews. Thank you for listening. If you have found this resource useful, please consider making a charitable donation to CWMT by texting TALK18 and the amount to 70070. And to learn more about the work of the Charlie Waller Memorial Trust, please visit cwmt.org.uk.